ability to write about the pain becomes the pain. Poet Gustavo Perez Fermat. The fact that I am writing to you in English already falsifies what I wanted to tell you. To look at the different kinds of violences and whether the definition and function of violence changes in a hyper-violent society where violence is already a normal thing. Many of my lovers do not love me, but they entertain me all the same. We infect each other and call it complicated and call again in less than a week. From time to time, we will bring you some fiction writers to give their view of the world through readings. And I know what you think in fashion. We will focus on readings that will make you take a step back a little and realize that fiction isn't all that strange in comparison to reality. Today we have Lindogu Senkosi, a writer straddling Cape Town and Johannesburg and has contributed for various publications. She presents works that she's been previously commissioned for as well as some from her master's dissertation. Hers is a fragmented world that is non-linear where she weaves mythology dripping with violence. She compels us to relook at the definition of this violence in its different manifestations. So this, this that I'm going to read, I kind of think of it as like the precursor to my thesis. It was a commission from the Mail and Guardian, from Omelisitanda, about two years ago. And so I wrote this kind of fragmented essay looking at art and healing, which I didn't realize it then, but it was going to become the way in which I was starting to reason with the world and my place in the world. And even the style of it, this is the first time I wrote this kind of like fragmentary, broken, kind of non-linear writing, which makes more sense for me for where I am and the stuff that I'm writing about, because I think I'm looking a lot at brokenness. And so to try to force it into like a timeline doesn't really make sense for me anymore. It was called The Terror Will Teach You from the Jodorowsky song. What is happening within you will be enough to heal you. The artist is called. An interlocutor between the world we can see and the things we can only feel. The artist is the channel, the conduit, the medium. The artist is the healer. In synchronicity with God and the universe, she provokes the ancient knowledge contained within us connecting us to other ways of being. Non-linear timing and universes folded and collapsed onto each other. You are sitting on the windback. She is lying on her side on a brown leather four-seater or she is upright on the wingback and you are prostrate on the couch and when that man appears on the screen, you stifle and swallow a scream. But it stays there in your throat like a threat. Like a boulder in your esophagus or the thing that comes some nights, slinking into your bed to sit on your chest to keep you paralyzed. Tonight you will tell her that the man on the screen was also the man on top of you that he forced you down and was also inside you, saying, if this isn't what you wanted, then why are you here? You are sitting on the windback and she's lying on the side, or you are lying on your stomach and she's upright on the chair and you're both crying when she tells you that that man, a family member, did this to her too. This is where you heal your mother while she tries to heal you. Later, when looking at Carrie Mae Weems' kitchen table series, you think, the umbilical cord might have been tendon and trauma and fiber and fear. You will have to find where yours is buried. In a dream, a man that you love, another artist healer asks you how you can live in such a place. You are both on the floor in the kitchen, his brown and your brown, and the striated brown of the wooden flooring, he says. Can't you see it? It's there in the corner, hiding behind the crate of records. You think you see it, but you blink and it's gone. An ugly, pitiful looking thing. You're going to have to tell it to leave. Itigoloshi is described as a dwarfish, mischievous spirit creature. In the Daily Sun headlines, it steals food and alcohol, takes bites out of newly bought poloni, moves keys and hides clothes, slams doors, or just watches. 
and more harrowing stories that Dugoloshi rapes indiscriminately. In a Vice documentary, The Ghost Rapes of Bolivia, members of a Mennonite community in Manitoba colony believed that demons were raping the town's women and children at night. How else could they explain waking up to semen and blood and rope burns on their wrists and blinding headaches that dug canyons into their memories? In Zieti, Palm Ridge, East Rand, a 60-year-old woman has not cleaned a shack in seven years. Somewhere in here, in the mess, is a document with the case number printed on it, stating that she was drugged, robbed, and raped. And while a visit to the doctor confirms this, the police have not been back since taking a statement in 2009. She has not cleaned the house. She is preserving the crime. They tell me if I tamper with it, I'll go behind bars. In Bolivia, the demons were a group of men ages 19 and 43 who used a chemical to drag whole families and rape them. When you walk in Cape Town, you hear the bones breaking and crunching under your weight. Writer Zoe Wickham says that you can't get lost in Cape Town, but all the blacks of Cape Town know that you can't be found here either. Personal Everett, blackness is not a spectator sport. In South Africa, violence has been and still is the barometer of historical authenticity. There's the brutality of what we remember, the aggression of amnesia, and then the other hurts deposited into our bloodstream, our pathologies of pain. When Congolese choreographer and dancer Faustin Lenyakula speaks, he touches his body. When he speaks about love, he presses one hand into the other. About imagination, he brings his arms to his chest. When he speaks about frames and parameters, he stretches his arms out on either side. It's as though his body already contains everything it needs to know. It's as though through dance, through incorporating ritual into his corporeal, he is accessing the medicine of the ancients. The writer is struggling to find the words and the pain is unceasing, the anxiety omnipresent. And part of the pain, the inability to speak about the pain, to articulate it, to polish the sharp outcrops that cut and scrape on the inside, to turn the stone into a gem. The inability to write about the pain becomes the pain. Poet Gustavo Perez Fermat, the fact that I am writing to you in English already falsifies what I wanted to tell you, my subject, how to explain to you that I don't belong in English, though I belong nowhere else. Oh, let me break it with something a little bit lighter, actually. I have stacked my sadness like bricks inside me. The bricks were outside, their own quiet weight in the corner, behind the car, behind the bins. One by one I brought them in. Eight sadnesses to hold the mirror up, four on each side. One sadness to balance the broken bed base. And one sadness that only comes out on hot days, that props doors open, leaving everything slightly ajar. The sadness of being sad. Many of my lovers do not love me, but they entertain me all the same. We infect each other and call it complicated and call again in less than a week. The sadness of looking at art and discovering you are dead. Jean-Michel Basquiat said he crossed out words in order to enable us to see them more. Words like mother, like crown. I have no lines carved into my body. No roots rubbed into the splits to protect me. I hold out the palm of my hands, the soles of my feet for you to finger the wounds should you find yourself doubting, find myself lacking. The sadness of God as a singular, the sadness of gods as a plural. I cross out words here so you can see them more. Words like mother, like black, like me. 
To protest my own eraser, I disappear. The sadness of stardust that lives like mud. The Isuzulu word for moon is also the word for doctor. The name of the sun is also how we call day. Drunk one night at a pub, a closer man tells me that I do not know how to speak to men because there are no such thing as Zulu men. The Isuzulu words for ancestors and sleep are similar. Also, the words for music and healer. Cross this out so you can see it more. There are bricks all over my house that it does not float away in the middle of the night. One by one, I brought them in and put them in cupboards, in corners, on carpets. I joke to a friend and I say, this is why I'm so good My lovers are other people's lovers, but I entertain them all the same. The sadness of sunken parts and pillows and beds long after a person's scent has left. The sadness of mothers and daughters. We have in common one dimple on our left cheeks and a hole on the top of our heads. We are soft parts getting bigger, getting softer. And I know that you gave me that hole on the top of my head. In your blood, in your breath, in your breast milk. When I fell, when we both fell, when you tripped, when you dropped me. The sadness of stories are celebrations of survival. In the kitchen. I'm cleaning coffee rinds out of a cup and my brother's in town. Lies horizontal on the couch, something flat on his stomach, something loud in his ears. My mother's visiting too. She's out doing whatever it is that mothers do when they doubt the quality of their daughters' lives. I pour the remainder of the coffee down the drain hole. Stick my fingers into the translucence of grass and scoop, handful by handful, tiny grains of brown, feeling the hardness against my fingers, under my nails. I have my hands under the tap, rubbing once against each other when it happens, slight, almost imperceptible, as though I'm not supposed to know that it's happening. The house shifts, quick, quiet, an involuntary twitch. They hear my mother and brother, because men with knives insist on allowing themselves into my home. They are here to create the kind of protective spell that only blood can, can create, to split their veins open in order to seal mine. But the men keep coming and coming, their knives sharpened against the stone of my anxieties. I am new here and mostly I am alone. And this town is small and it does the things that small towns do, operates on an impenetrable internal logic, a logic that either drags one along or drowns them. It lends itself to loneliness in its smallness, in its small, antiquated, colonial way. And lonely is my default position. And so I find ways to be comfortable here at my intersection of loneliness and loneliness. The intimacies are forced and far apart. I am either a stranger or a monument. There is no in-between. The first man. I folded myself onto a couch and the moon is swollen. I can see it just outside the window. It has lowered itself so I can reach for it and place it, a grapefruit in my pocket, on a plate, in a bowl for preservation. He happens at seven o'clock in the evening, or at least this is what I say in the police report. That I was alone, at home, on the couch when the door swung open and let the night in, and a man in, a man in a black hoodie pulled low over the crown of his head, and a knife. He seems unsure. Like perhaps he stumbled home drunk with the day and thought he was opening the door to his own apartment. Like maybe I'm not supposed to be here. Like maybe I broke into his abode, replaced his furniture with mine, his self with me. He sticks his head in first, looks around uncertain, does not see me there, 
mahogany and leather like the couch until he commits, fully steps in and I begin to materialize. The first man is not the most original thief. He watches way too much TV and says things like they say on the screen. He pulls a knife out of the waist of his pants and points at me. An accusation, an implication in steel, he says. Don't move, don't make a fucking sound, shut the fuck up, don't move. If you scream, I will kill you. Where's the money? Give me your money, I'm going to fucking kill you. There are oceans in my ears. He tells me to stand up, so I stand up, but he pushes me back down again, and so I sit, he says. Don't fucking move. This is not the time to argue for the finer points of communication and clarity, but what I want to know is, does he want me to stand up or to not move? Do I stand and remain frozen that way in that position? He said he would spray me a million times, but he has a knife in his hand. Will he leave me punctured aerosol-like? Is there another weapon that will spray maybe bullets, maybe pepper gas? He has a knife. Or maybe it is not a knife. It is a homemade blade, rough and battered, and he's wrapped tape around the one end to form a handle. It is not a knife. It is a knife. So together we search through my things to help him find what he's looking for. His phone, his laptops, his furniture, his money, his life that I have usurped. He pushes me towards my bedroom and I am embarrassed. Bed unmade, underwear on floor, clothes, books, loose sheets of paper strewn between tangled blankets. I see again the underwear on the floor. I see the bed open. My underwear is already on the floor and my bed lies gaping. So I push him. I push him and I run. I push past him and I run. I run out the door and into the night. He reaches out an arm and trips me. I slip into some mud. I fall into some mud and I hear him behind me. I hear him behind me and I swim myself up, run to the main house and bang on the door, but nobody's home. Nobody's home because I live alone. I live alone because lonely is my disposition. Is he still behind me?